Hey guys, it's Brett here. Just dropping in before the show to let you know this episode is a little different. It's a part one of a two-part interview with Sean Williams, who is an Olympic running coach. That's all you need to know for now. Let's get into it. We all have pressure in our lives and pressure makes diamonds and yet in the heat of a moment that pressure can lead to various ways that we handle a situation either aggressively or bringing out some degree of kindness and that's what Diamond Kind is about. Welcome to another episode of Diamond Kind, the podcast that celebrates kindness under pressure. I'm your host Brett and today we have a very special guest, someone who knows a thing or two about running. He is a fanatical student of the sport, starting his competitive career as an eight-year-old in little athletics. He went on to become a decent senior runner with a PBs of 14.09 for 5K and 29.31 for the 10K. Not bad, not bad. He has been an Australian team coach at the senior level in recent years um, at World Athletic Championships. Three of his athletes competed in the 2014 Commonwealth Games. That was uh, Harry Summers, Ben St. Lawrence and Victoria Mitchell, with Ben and Victoria also being Olympians. He has produced multiple Australian reps in the World Junior, World Youth, Olympic Youth and Commonwealth Youth Championships. Joining us today is none other than Sean Williams, Melbourne's only Olympic level running coach. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honour uh, being on here and thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Well, I'd like to um, sort of go through this podcast and probably break it into four different segments and starting with your journey, Sean, in, in running and coaching. Can you share with us how your journey in running uh, began from little athletics to now becoming uh, a senior coach? Absolutely. I think the, the main driver of my running, like so many people uh, with whatever they do in life, were, were my parents and yeah. particularly my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, we're hoping to celebrate his 90th birthday up in Sydney in uh, pretty well exactly two months from today. Okay, it is. awesome. So, so that'll be exciting, hopefully. Uh, you know, and we're looking forward to that family coming from all around the country to, to gather for dad's 90th. But uh, it, there was a movement, a jogging movement, actually, uh, back in the late 60s and 1970s, and there was a man named uh, Dr. Kenneth Cooper, mm-hmm. who was an uh, exercise physiologist, and he started this jogging movement along with um, a few other people around, like the coach Arthur Liard, who was a famous New Zealand coach, and the, the tag jogging came into being. Yeah. Uh, before that, people who ran tended to run competitively. Mm-hmm. So they never run in pro races, like they'd get ready for things like the Stalwell Gift, uh, if they're Australian, Victorian, uh, or like overseas, they might be aiming for Olympics or, or you know, going in their, their, their club races. So they tended to be very fanatical. They weren't so much running for health, although I'm sure there were plenty of people out there running and jogging for health, but it wasn't like a mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. But then a couple of fairly renowned people, both from the health side of things and and from the competitive side of the sport, started coming together and thinking, well, you know, running shouldn't only really be something that uh, people who want to compete in sport should be able to do. It, it, it should be something that um, the average person out there could mm. do as well because it'll really help, you know, help their Absolutely. heart, uh, their weight, their yeah. strength, their mental well-being mm-hmm. and all these other things that we know we can derive from being a regular runner or going for regular runs. 
And so the jogging movement, which is really, you know, basically the running movement, as we, because we, more people call it running these days, as we know today, came about. And Dr. Kenneth Cooper, he wrote a book, I can't remember the name of the book, but my, my dad got his hands on it. Yeah. And it pretty well said that he recommended you got out and went for three runs a week for something like three miles, it's three or four miles, and yeah. build up five miles, because it's all about miles back then. So mm-hmm. yeah, basically building up to about 10K. And and dad got his hold of, got his hands on the book and started following it. And one of the things that stemmed from that Kenneth Cooper Lydiard jogging movement was a big event with Sydney, because I'm originally a Sydney boy, I've been mm-hmm. in Melbourne for seven years, a big event with Sydney called the, the City to Surf, mm-hmm. which is still going now. It's a 14K, or back then they called it about a nine-miler. Yep. And went from the town hall in Sydney all the way to Bondi Beach, following um, iconic places in Sydney along the way, mainly along the harbour. Yeah. Uh, beautiful course. I did that several times as a kid and also as an adult, uh, mainly due to Dad, uh, you know, encouraging us. And so it was Dad getting out there and running along his um, three-mile and four-mile course around the suburbs in Sydney where we lived. And he inspired us. He got out there. He did the very first city to surf when the, the Fairfax, the local Fairfax media who had the, the newspaper in Sydney at the time called The Sun, The Sydney Sun. Yeah. They promoted it and got lots of people out there for the first edition. I think something like 1,500 or 2,000 people did the first one. Yes, it was yeah. fairly well promoted, which is a lot when they had nothing like that at all anywhere in Australia. And so a lot of people like Dad got into it. And then obviously Dad and other fathers and other uh, friends and family of people all around started telling people what a good thing it was, how much they enjoyed their running. Mm-hmm. So we got into it too. And then Dad encouraged um, myself and my siblings to get involved in another new movement at the time in the early 70s yeah. uh, called Little Athletics, which yeah. as from people like Tyson and, and other local people, a lot of their kids now are still doing Little Athletics. It's been a movement which has been going for about the same time as jogging slash running in the Western world. And uh, we got involved in that and I got involved in that as an eight-year-old and um, did the running, jumping and throwing, really loved the running side of things. And did a whole bunch of sports like we all do right through primary and high, high school, but yeah. running was always a, a constant there and probably my number one love. And by the time I graduated from high school, it was the, the main sport I was doing. And, um, you know, I competed for my club in Sydney and then continued to do it as an old guy um, and coached down in Melbourne in, in the last seven years. So I've always enjoyed being involved in that club scene and competing and now coaching, giving back to the sport as a coach. And, it's been a real joy for me. It's been great for my health, I believe, yep. and well-being. And made so many of my friends uh, through the sport, and it's been a huge part of my life ever since uh, Dad got involved in that city to surf. Awesome, well, awesome. Thanks for sharing that, and you know that's remarkable. So one of the things you said, Sean, was about uh, doing so three. Did you say th- doing three take ten uh, k runs per week? Yeah, pretty well. That's what he yeah. did. He never became funny. Dad never became what you'd call a running like we mm. know. I was a running fanatic. Like uh, yeah. for, for years of my life, I was running twice a day. So I was nearly doing what Dad did per week per day in my twenties. Yeah. Fact, for eleven or twelve years, I averaged one hundred and sixty k a week in training. Yeah. Uh, you know, even on a bad week or a week where I backed off or recovered from a big race, I might do 100, 120K a week. Uh, and then on a big week, I might do 180. So I was doing lots of runs. But yeah, yeah even that, even if you're doing 30K a week, that's plenty of running. Yeah. And that's pretty. That's what Dad did. He, he, he only um, 
he had other stuff going on. Four yeah. kids took after he had a good job, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was he, he was never a fanatic, but he was certainly very dedicated to the yeah. point where they got writing a book about the city of the surf. Um, forget the guy's name now, but he put a book together on the history of the the race about ten years ago now. Okay. Because I think the first edition of the race might have been nineteen seventy one. You mm-hmm. could double check that, but I'll think about that. And um, so about forty years after that, a guy wrote a big, beautiful hardcover book, and got together the guys they're all went all men actually um who had done all of them and he called them the legends mm-hmm. and about there were about 30 people who'd done every edition of the super surf and dad was a legend so he was very consistent even yeah. though you, what you call a running fanatic he, he he rocked up there every year um on in the second sunday in august because that's traditionally when it's on it still is on the second sunday in august in sydney following pretty well the same course and he'd, he'd always rock up. And the only thing that stopped him from doing it was an aneurysm by his heart, which, mm-hmm. you know, he can't run, basically. He hasn't been able to run for the last five years. So he'd, he'd even been walking it as a 85-year-old. 85-year-old, yeah. And the doctor said, no, you'll die if you – or there's a good chance you'll drop dead if you uh, <laughs> if you do. So that stopped him. Yeah. Yeah. But he, 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 made, he made the book anyway. He made the cut for the book. So that was a Okay, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. And I guess yeah. during that time, Sean, as well, so, did, you know, with um, the five children and, you know, working um, a good job as well, did he yeah. – was, was he doing it for, for health reasons? Is that why he was – Yeah, that, that was the number one reason. Yeah. I think uh, in his words – um, he, he was a long, uh, lean young man like I was, and I still have been because I've continued to run. If mm. you know me, I am tall and and, mm. and lean. Yeah, you are. Uh, well, he was exactly like that as a young guy, but in his words, when he got – and so even as a single guy yeah. in his 20s, he remained fairly tall and lean. Maybe he wasn't cooking him like he, he moved out of home fairly young at yeah. uni and, and in his early working life and that. But when he got married, in his words, he started. He, I think he put on, he used pounds. I think he put on forty pounds within the first twelve months because mum cooked him up good meals all the time and um, probably you know fed him really really well. And um, and he'd been doing bugger all exercise and he wasn't happy with his health. It yeah, just all yeah. felt like not being married for very long and um, kind of letting himself go a bit. And yeah. he wasn't happy the way he looked and the way he felt. So it, I think it was more just a vibe and just a, a quick little measure of himself and, and, and you know, the media out there and the literature out there at the time kicked him into gear. Awesome, yeah. awesome. No, that's really good. Thanks for sharing all that. And I no guess worries. For, for you, Sean, you've coached uh, runners um, of all ages and abilities for, for two decades now. Like what keeps you motivated to coach, I guess, such a diverse range of, uh, of athletes? Um, it, it's just a real joy. I came from a teaching background. Um, I was teaching uh, predominantly PE or phys ed and uh, coaching and teaching are very similar in that you're helping people, you know, achieve goals. Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, was, it was the one thing in my – running was the, the thing in my life which I most wanted to do when I got out the door from work of an afternoon and, and, and for a long period of time. For most of my teaching career, it was what I did before I – went to work as well so i'd get up early 5 30 and and train and then i as soon as i could get out of school then i'd do it again once i'd finished coaching kids for footy or cricket or whatever i was doing more more running i couldn't wait to that was my first choice so uh there was a guy um up in brisbane named patrick carroll or pat carroll who mm-hmm. had banking and um 
he was a, great, a, a much better runner than me. Actually, he ran about a 28.40 for 10K and ran in the Commonwealth Games for Australia. Mm-hmm. He wanted to get out of banking and he, he gave running coaching a go with a bunch of recreational runners in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Started in uh, started in about uh, 2000 or thereabouts. It was a year before I started my rec running group and uh, it went really well. And he, he knew that I was already coaching predominantly kids and a few club level runners and he said you should give that a go as a career maybe take a year's leave like i have so it's about 12 months after he started after i noticed how well he'd been going and made a career out of it and he said after him egging me on i thought i'll give it a crack and i did and uh, and things worked out really well so to me it was like the dream job i was actually doing for my career what i'd been doing in my spare time (laughs) <laughs> anyway, really, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Getting involved in running and helping runners, and yeah, uh, and, um, yeah. There's certainly like when you've got a lifetime of experience under your belt. Even though I was fairly young when I started coaching, I, I was a running fanatic, and I was spending a lot of time every week doing it. And you, the more you do something like that, you tend to make mistakes along the way, and therefore you learn. Mm-hmm. I was able to pass on that knowledge of of, of my learnings to to plenty of people, and. Look, you know, I, I'd have to admit that some people in my early days of coaching probably had just as much knowledge of running, if not more knowledge of running than me, but they wanted someone to be their motivator. They wanted someone there holding their watch or someone to be accountable to. Yeah, yeah. Different reasons why people have a coach. And I reckon the number one reason is probably the accountability. Number two is that they'll often, the coach will often provide just that support. Yeah. And it might be a support network. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a one-on-one support or even it's within that creating a group structure because not everybody trains within a group. Um, like just in my own coaching services, I offer one-on-one coaching where I can rock up to or the person will rock up to me and I'll literally coach them one-on-one. And that's more for helping their technique, helping them with their breathing, pace judgment and just giving them a little bit more attention. Yeah, I'd online coaching where I may I may never meet the person. I, I may only see them um, online, either via um, some some kind of face to face, you know, conversation there, and or they may send me a video of them running, or I might I might see footage of them in a race if somebody else has taped them running. Yeah, some people won't even see any footage of it all. They they just like to keep it all in writing, and they get a get their program on a spreadsheet and then there's correspondence about how they're handling their four-week block of training and how they're, you know, and then, you know, there'll be goals that they're, that they're tra- aiming to achieve and then there'll be ongoing adjustment of goals because they're only human and things can go right. They might get faster than we thought they would or they might slow down due to different reasons. It might be you know, busy life. It could be injury, illness, whatever. So we need to either accelerate or decelerate the, what's happening with their program um, you know, and there's, so there's the online, there's the one-on-one, then there's the group training, which mm-hmm. like I have running groups in Edithvale at the moment. I used to have them in Centennial Park in Sydney. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I, I honestly believe that they sign up with me as a coach because they know that there's a good group um, environment happening there. There's a good uh, group dynamic. And it's a great way for them to not only get coaching because I'm there on site generally and if it's not me it'll be like an assistant coach but normally it's me mm-hmm. uh, but i'll also have com- uh, camaraderie there with fellow runners and, and often they know that a lot of those runners will be more experienced than them and they're like a second third or fifth coach because they're role models to their less experienced runners and even the experienced runners like being senior members of a group 
and there's the whole social side of it. So they're not only there running together and pushing each other yeah. along and encouraging each other along as like a support network on the run mm-hmm. and on that while they're stretching and doing their technique work. And But they're there. They become very good friends. So there's a real social side to things where they might catch up. Like I literally just, you know, did a workout with the group at Edithvale this morning. Then, then a bunch of us met up at the local cafe afterwards for just a chat and, and a laugh for yeah. over a coffee and a few people had a bite to eat. Or it might be going to the pub after an evening evening session. Or it might be, um, you know, going out to a race, a club race, and and people all bring along a bite to eat, cakes and and slices and snacks and all that kind of thing under the marquee. There's a social side of things. Or, or even travelling away to a race for a full weekend, or even longer if it's further away. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of social things that happen. And then there's lots of banter going on social media these days in chat groups and all that sort of thing. Of course, yeah. And, and other aspects as well. So the social part of being in a running group is yep. huge for a lot of people. And as a coach, I guess I'm just sort of like a manager of that that whole environment. And I'm only one small part of that group. You know, the group, everybody in the group is an important member of that group. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other, the, the other component of my coaching is I um, – uh, provide tra- uh, training camps. So they're like a runner's getaway, you could guess, they're like a runner's holiday. We had one up at Coolum in the middle of winter in July, Coolum in, um, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and that was lovely, getting away there and training. And it was basically doing what we're doing in Melbourne, but in a warmer environment. Um, and, you know, we were around each other more than what we normally would because there was no work to worry about or anything like that, although some people might have had a little bit of work online. Um, basically you're there to hang out with the runners and so there's a bit more training provided and more social things happening so yeah um, running camps are a fun thing to do as well i've had them in the mountains um had them in the the, the, the australian alps and that sort of thing as well to get away to different environments that you don't normally get to appreciate just in in bayside melbourne and do something different uh with like-minded people like yeah. we went for a great trip up to um Bathurst in February to watch that wasn't a training camp but it was more of a racing trip to watch the World Cross Country Championships. It was okay. the first time the World Cross Country has been in Australia and it was in summer in uh, western New South Wales which is really hot and it was stinging hot. It was a three-day carnival and a lot of the runners who went up there got to go in their own races even if they didn't get to wear the green and gold in the actual world cross country which was on the final day they had a whole bunch of lead up races as well yeah just to be everybody involved. Yeah. they had like corporate races they had club relays they had school kid races age group yeah, they had world masters championship for the oldies anything you wanted to go in you could have done you could have done a 2k right up to the 10k it was stinking hot it was like 35 degrees every day um which is non-cross country type weather but it had to be in line with the rest of the world and uh, you know, 90% of the world live in the Northern Hemisphere and it was in the middle of winter in early February. Yeah. And that's when they always had World Cross Country and when it was Australia's turn, we still had to hold it, but it happened to be our summer. So you had all these uh, Africans and Americans and Europeans and whatnot, Asians who were coming from their winter and they really copped it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. they, uh, running a tough, hilly yeah. 10K cross country with no tree cover, uh, it, was, it was a nightmare for yeah. many people. Yeah. It was a great experience. Everybody had fun. You got to meet people from all over the world. And again, that was another getaway, which we really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. That wraps up another episode of Diamond Kind, where we immerse ourselves in the remarkable moments of kindness that emerge under pressure. But guess what? We're not done yet. This is just the beginning of Sean's journey. 
Stay tuned for part two, where we'll continue to hear from Sean and his passion to coach runners of all different types. Until then, remember to keep that kindness and compassion alive. Thank you.